When I look back, I realize that one of the biggest reasons that I stand here today has to do with a Big Mac that I never had the opportunity to eat. I was 17 years old. It was my first time being invited up to youth group, and, and I was nervous. I, I kind of grew up in church a little bit. I did the Christmas and Easter thing, and yet regular church, midweek church, non-December or April church was, was new, was scary. And yet I had these friends who were persistent. They invited, they invited, they invited. And finally I said yes. And their van shows up at my house. And I get in their car. And now I'm locked in. Like literally locked into this journey to church. And I get here. And there's kids all over the place that I didn't know. I'm thinking, I don't want to go into that room. And as we, we get closer to the youth room, I see that the youth pastor guy, like there's an adult, standing right outside the door to the youth room, like the gatekeeper. Oh no, I gotta talk to this guy before I go in. He's like shaking hands, like old school. And as I get close to him, we make eye contact. And he smiles. He says, You're Danny, right? He knows my name. He said, I've been I've been praying that you would come tonight. I didn't know anything about youth pastors. I'm like, I don't know how this works. Is God just telling people things, right? <laughs> he said, hey, if you're ever up for it, I'd love to get together before youth group sometime and maybe grab a Big Mac or something before we come up the hill. And I don't know what it was about that invitation. Right? Maybe no one had ever invited me to McDonald's before. I don't know what it was. But there's something about that invitation that just, it just hit me. It just drew me in. I never got the Big Mac, right? He never took me to McDonald's. But every single week, I started coming back over and over and over again just because I really wanted him to take me to dinner. <laughs> There's something that he unlocked in my mind in that statement. This, I felt like someone saw me. I felt like someone wanted something for me. I felt like somebody knew something about my life and what it could be that I, I had not yet unlocked. And so a simple question like, do you want to get dinner sometime? Just, just grabbed my attention and kept me coming back. I think there's something that's true about all of us. Maybe it's the human condition. Maybe it's how God has wired us, that the whole eternity in our hearts thing. But there is something in us that longs to be called to something big. I don't know if you ever had a moment with the Lord where you're praying just that, that God, I, I'm here, I want to be used by you, right? Kind of like that Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, send me. I can think of times in my life where I got on my knees before God and I said, God, I, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm up for anything. But if you want to use me to change the world in some way, I'm, I'm here. If you want to use me to do something, I'm, I'm here, God. Whatever it is you want from me, I, I just want to do it. Just show me what it is. Answer that prayer. Make my phone ring right now. I stare at it, it never rings. I remember when I went to seminary, there was this discipleship group that you could apply to be a part of, and the leader of the group was this professor named Howard Hendricks, and he was like this all-star, he like mentored everybody. There's all these rumors floating around campus that like uh, everybody who was anybody in the Christian world was in this discipleship program. Like Chuck Swindoll was in it back in the day, Andy Stanley was in it, Tony Evans was in it, Danny, you can be in it. I said, how can I be in it? I want to do something great for God. I said, here's the secret. You got to go to Professor Hendricks' office, write your name on a three-by-five card, 
and give it to his assistant. That's the secret key. Like, I'm in, right? And so I go down there. I, I don't know if you're supposed to bring your own three by five card if they have them there for you, right? And I'm like, hey, I want to apply to be in the group. I hear I need a three by five card. She's like, absolutely, right? And, and so she takes the card and she says, let me just, I put it here in this file. And then every year we, we just choose 12 at random. Oh, no, right? There's like thousands of cards in this store. Probably like 200 cards in the store. But I just had this feeling like, okay, I know God wants to use me. I feel like he wants to use me. I know this is the pathway to get there. I know I need to be in this group. And so I started praying, God, just let my name be chosen. Let my card be drawn. And as far as I know, my card is still in that drawer to this day. (laughs) And there's something in me that longs to be called into something bigger, something greater. I don't know if you're the same way, but I... I know for me, I'm just always dreaming of what life could be if God would just say, Danny, follow me, come with me. I'll make you a fisher of man. I would drop my nets, right? I'd leave the copy machine. I'd follow him. The problem is it feels like that invitation rarely comes. We pray and pray and pray, God, let me do big things, but, but Jesus never shows up knocking at our door. We pray, God, put me in that group, but we... A three-by-five card just never get called. We say, God, take me to that dinner, but the Big Mac never shows up, right? There's something in us wired to follow Jesus into big things. And it seems like we live our whole lives and the big things never seem to, to, to take shape. Now, two simultaneous things seem to be true. Number one, God wants to use us to do big things for him. We read all over the scriptures. They say, I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God says, I can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. I, I can do amazing things through you. God wants to use us to do big things for him. But, but the other half of that is that most of us feel like we aren't doing big things for God. There's like this disconnect between the promises of scripture and the products of our lives. We see Jesus calling other people to go become fishers of men, to do big things, to come walk with him, but we feel like our invitation never arrives. This morning we start this series called Walking with Jesus, and the whole premise of this series is a conviction that I have that that when Jesus called Peter, and when Jesus called Paul, and when Jesus called all of these other men and women to follow after him, that calling is not just meant for us to look at and see other people follow Jesus, but those texts are in the scriptures because Jesus is calling us with those same words. Right? He wants us to drop our nets and follow him. He wants us to follow him into big things. He wants to use us to change the world. He wants us to go and make disciples. He wants to partner with us to change the world. And yet we have this untapped opportunity. We have not yet learned how to go from reading about Jesus to walking with Jesus. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to journey with the disciples around Galilee and into Jerusalem and, and walk with him, put ourselves in the shoes primarily of the Apostle Peter, and see how Jesus calls him, see how Jesus uses him, see what's in Peter or what isn't in Peter that allows Jesus to use him to change the world in big ways. And this morning as we start, the question that that I want to ask is, how do we bridge the gap from where we are today to the journey that Jesus wants to take us on? Or how do we catalyze a next step into starting to be used by God into 
a journey that can blow up to change our life, to change our world, to change our families, and to change our communities. And so we're going to look at that initial calling that Jesus gave Peter today. We see it in a lot of places. We see it show up in John 1. We see it in Matthew 4. And this morning, we're going to primarily land in Luke chapter 5. So if you have Bibles, you can turn to Luke 5. We'll read Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesinneret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's who we know later as Peter, and he asked them to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And this is the same account that we heard about a little bit this morning, that when Jesus shows up and calls Peter, he leaves everything and follows him. So we get a little bit more behind the scenes than we saw in the Matthew version. And Peter, I think, gets a bad rap in the Bible. We always talk about him as the impulsive one, as the hot-headed one, as the one who kept putting his foot in his mouth. And yet, I think we need to admit that when it comes to disciples, when it comes to power, when it comes to a person that Jesus has commissioned to lead in a huge way in his kingdom, Peter was the man, right? Peter was the one who walked on water. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's the one that Jesus looked at and said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus used Peter to be the pastor of the first network of churches in Christian history. He was a great follower of Jesus, used greatly by God. Yet we're reminded as we look at these kind of origin story texts that Peter came from from humble beginnings. And Peter was a fisherman. And Peter didn't seem like he was one who was destined for the ministry, even unlike his brother Andrew. Andrew was one who was a disciple of John the Baptist, kind of going in the whole religious route. He was following after this John the Baptist guy. And, And one day, we see this at the end of John 1, one day John the Baptist looks at Andrew and he says, that's the Messiah. And they see Jesus. And so Andrew, the first thing he does is he goes and gets Simon Peter. And he says, we found this guy today. I think he's the Messiah. You need to come and see. And so Peter, the fisherman, goes with his more religious brother, Andrew, and he approaches Jesus. Jesus sees Peter coming. And Peter has a Big Mac moment. This is where I feel like my youth pastor might have been reading the Bible. This was his tactic. 
Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. You are Simon. He sees him. I know your name. And he says, and I know your future. You will be called Peter. And I'm sure that Peter had like a 10x version of what I experienced in front of the youth building that day. This one that they're calling the Messiah, he knows him, he sees him, and he has plans for him. But at the same time, I feel like Peter would be thinking, what does this mean? I don't know if people's names changed a lot in Jesus' day. I think a couple times in the Bible it happens, right? But, But if I showed up at the youth building on that Wednesday night, and the youth pastor said, you're Danny, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, He said, you're going to be called Benjamin. <laughs> I'd be like, what? Wow. This is one of those kidnapping stories. <laughs> and Jesus looks at Simon. And from his vantage point as the Messiah, from his vantage point as the king of the universe, from the van- his vantage point as the one who created Simon, knit him together in his mother's womb, he gives him one of those Abram to Abraham moments and says, I see you, I know you, I have plans for you, I'm going to change your destiny. Peter walks away from that moment affected in some way. It's interesting, we don't see Peter start following Jesus like the others after that moment. And by the time we get to Luke 5, where we read this morning, Peter's back on the shore fishing still. He hasn't left his trade. He's still fishing. Jesus is there, and there's a crowd of people, and they're all listening to Jesus. He has his own disciples. And so we've got Jesus preaching, these crowds coming, and Peter's off to the side with, his, with James and John and these others, and they're mending their nets, and they're watching from a distance. And, and as I read that this week, I wondered, I wonder what Peter's thinking at that moment. He had this amazing moment with Jesus where Jesus hinted at greatness, hinted that some great things were in his future, and now he's here, and Jesus is there, and all these people are listening to Jesus, and Peter's just watching like a fly on the wall. It's kind of like if I went back to youth group the next week, and the youth pastor didn't mention me, didn't notice me, didn't make eye contact with me, I'd start to wonder, was, was I kidding myself that whole time? Does this guy really know my name? Does he really want to take me to McDonald's? And sometimes we have moments like that in our life. We have these glimpses of greatness. We have these prayer times or these conversations or these urgings or these desires or these words that are given to us from other people where it just seems like God is trying to materialize something greater, something bigger. We get a glimpse of something in our future. We get a glimpse that God's taking us down a pathway towards something great, but then time goes by and nothing materializes. And we see all these other people following God in these big ways and we're sitting there mending our nets thinking, did I miss the boat or something? Was I supposed to do something that would have gotten me into that group with those people? Was God trying to get me to do something and I didn't and now I missed the opportunity forever? Did God used to have plans for me but then I, I was disobedient and the ship has left the dock without me? We see Peter on the sidelines and, and even his interaction with Jesus is kind of generic and awkward when we read it here in Luke 5. 
The crowd gets so big that Jesus is standing on the shore and he can't like see the people in the back. And so he looks over at Peter and says, I'm going to use your boat, right? So Peter gets up and helps Jesus get into his boat and pushes him back, right? And we don't see any moment where it says like, and Jesus said, hey, Peter, I remember you. Don't worry, right? I've got plans for you still, right? We just see Peter and Jesus floating, right? And Peter's just sitting there and Jesus is doing his thing. And Jesus is preaching over Peter's head to all these people who came to listen to him. And Peter's still just a fisherman. With a boat that's used by Jesus. But with no major calling or movement in his life. You know, we can take heart because we know the end of Peter's story. We, we know that God... It, is going to use Peter in great ways. We know, like it says in Philippians 1, when Paul is praying for the church, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We know that's technically true of us. We know that in those moments where we feel like God has forgotten us, that we just come to our senses and say, no, God, I know you say you remember us. I know you still have plans for me. I know you still want to use me. We know that God is going to use Peter, but it's hard. Let's just admit it's hard to be in a season when it feels like all the plans for greatness that God has for you are either over or in the future. Like Solomon saying this morning, I'm stuck here in the middle. <laughs> Past is gone. The future's not here yet. And Peter's sitting in the boat not knowing how to step into relationship with Jesus. When the preaching segment ends, the crowds start to disperse, and, and Jesus goes to Peter, and, and it's like he wants to give him like an honorarium for letting him use his boat. And he says, Peter, why don't, why don't you put your nets out into deep water and let them down for, for a deep catch? Right, why don't you just give it one more shot? I know you're done for the day, but Peter, just try again. Right, and there's a lot of things that Peter could do in this moment. Right? He could say, no, I already cleaned up. I put my nets on the shore. We're done. Right? He could say, Jesus, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Simon. You, you said that you had great plans for me, but here I'm still fishing. And he could have said, Jesus, I don't want to do that. I'm tired. There's nothing out there. He could have said, Jesus, you're a religious person. I see you're doing good religious stuff, but I'm a fisherman, and I know there's no fish out there. Messiah doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he answers to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will let down the nets. He says, okay, Jesus, this is a crazy thing you want me to do. But because it's you, because you're Lord, because I trust you, I'll do this crazy thing that you've asked me to do, even though it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to have to clean my nets again afterwards. Fine, fine, here we go. And Luke tells us that when they did this, 
They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they started bringing in all the people from the other boats to come and help them. And they're all trying to get all of the fish into the boats. And it's this mind-blowing moment, right? Like five times the mind-blowing moment that Peter had the first time he met Jesus, where now he's seeing a glimpse of Jesus' power, and he's humbled, and, and he gets down on his knees, and he says, Jesus, please leave me, right? He's the one saying, go away. You don't want to use someone like me. I'm a sinful person. Please, just, I see that you're powerful. I see that you're great, but I'm a sinful man. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the moment that everything changed in Peter's life. Jesus had indicated something was happening, but nothing had transpired. Jesus shows up adjacent to Peter, but not really coming to connect with him. Jesus uses Peter in a really mundane way to just be the boat driver. Jesus asks Peter to do something crazy that Peter probably should have said no to and given Jesus a lecture about fishing protocol. But Peter says yes to Jesus anyway, and his mind is blown. He realizes he has no reason he should ever be qualified to be anywhere close to a man like Jesus. But in that moment, Jesus says, come with me. Leave all this stuff behind. I've given you a glimpse of something amazing. I could do even more amazing things like that if you follow me. And Peter starts walking with Jesus. And for those of you who are in a place that you're longing to do something bigger for God, that you want to step into this relationship where you feel like you are walking with Jesus, you're being discipled by him, you're traveling with him through life, he's doing powerful things around you, here's the starting point as we emerge on this journey together, is that your journey towards doing something big for God will begin when you say yes to the first small thing. If you want to have some fun this week, look back at moments in your life when God did something big around you or through you or in your community. I'm going to guess it didn't start as a big thing. It started as a small thing that got big. It started as going across and bringing cookies to your neighbor, and then a relationship was formed, and then they started sharing with you. It started out by just surrendering a little portion of your life to him, and then all of a sudden it catapulted into more. It started by just putting your foot into serving in some ministry, but then before you knew it, you're running the whole thing, right? It started with something small, something sometimes even unrelated to the bigger task. But when you said yes, Jesus used that yes and grew it and grew it and grew it and grew it into something bigger. I think a lot of times we say no to the promptings that Jesus gives us because we don't get them. He says, pray with that coworker. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. He says, hey, start a small group in your house. Like, I, I can't do that. You say, go across the street and, and introduce yourself to your neighbor. Ah, too awkward. And we say no to all these small things, and then we wonder why there's no big things. But what if the portal to the big things, the door to the big things is saying yes to the small things? And for all we know about Peter being impulsive, putting his foot in his mouth, being hot-headed, always wanting to be first, always running ahead, here's another way to look at all that. Peter was the one who always said yes. 
When Jesus said, hey, somebody want to walk on water? Peter's like, yep, I'm in. What is it? Yep, I'm in. Oh, wait, walk on water? When Jesus and the others are on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter's thinking, like, somebody's got to say something, right? I'm going to say something. Yes! And so when Jesus looks at Peter and says, on this rock, I will build my church, right? Peter's heart response is already tuned to say, yes! He's not a yes man in the classic sense of the term. But I think one of the things that allowed Peter to be used by God in big ways was that he had this, like, unfiltered ability to just say yes to things even when they sounded insane. And as he said yes, Jesus used his yeses to show up and use him immeasurably more than he could have ever asked or imagined. Now, there's a saying that that Jesus would say and John the Baptist would say that in the New Testament, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's idea that the kingdom of God is right here. Like if you could touch it, you could reach out and grab it. And yet for us in our lives, it's this feeling like, okay, I know that Jesus' will for me is like right here. I just can't get it. I can't find it. If you want to start finding the will of God in your life, as we start this series, as you start this journey, just start with this. Just start saying yes to the small things that Jesus puts on your heart this week. And there's going to be something this week that God draws you to do. And pray with your spouse or open your Bible. Walk across the room. Walk across the street. Talk to your kids. Have a conversation, right? There's going to be something that God is calling you to do that you would normally just say, eh, too scary, too busy, too weird, too mundane. And we're going to start walking in Peter's shoes. We start saying yes, like Peter said. So say yes. Some of you in this room are not Christians. You've never given your life to Jesus. You're not walking with Jesus at all. And you know, the next thing for you to do is to say yes when God says, enter into relationship with me. Say yes when Jesus says, go to the prayer room and tell him that you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. Say yes when God says, join that small group. And you're saying, but I'm not even a believer in Jesus. Just say yes. The journey of faith begins when we, in a sense, say yes to Jesus who's been tapping on our shoulder, who's been opening our heart, who's been uh, getting us ready for this moment, our entire lives. Now, honestly, when I look back at my Big Mac experience, there is no reason that a 17-year-old would be excited to go have a hamburger with a strange adult he's never met, right? There was no, like, winsome sales pitch about the Big Mac It was not even a good hamburger. It was a Big Mac. I didn't even like McDonald's. I think the reason that his invitation was so compelling to me had nothing to do with what he was asking me. Because God had put me in a place where I was starting to be drawn into spiritual things and I was in this moment where I was just looking for what to say yes to that would bring me into the kingdom of God. I didn't even know it at that point. But God had cultivated my heart with this posture of yes. And so when someone had an invitation to me at church, no matter what it was, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. Yes, 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 yes. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to follow Peter as he continues to say yes to Jesus. We're going to watch Peter next week say yes and step into the water in a raging sea. We're going to watch as Peter has a, a vantage point of Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration and to learn something powerful about worship in discipleship. 
We're going to see as Jesus rebukes Peter and he learns the power of self-denial. We're going to hear stories of people who, who followed that yes in their lives and God used them to create amazing ways to reach people. And we're going to learn how Jesus, by the end of Peter's life, had taught him to be surrendered to God in all things and, and step into the big, big plans that Jesus had for him. So stick around these next eight weeks. Start saying yes. Don't say yes to anything illegal or dangerous. Uh, I'll have you sign a waiver on your way out. <laughs> but honestly, the, the things that, that most of the time we say no to are things that aren't that crazy. They aren't that big. They aren't illegal. They just freak us out, and we wonder what the point is, and so we just shut it down. We'll say yes, and we'll see what God does as we do. Let's pray, and we'll close.